This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hello and welcome to Saver, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about blue crabs. And I'm unreasonably excited <laughs> about it. <laughs> I am so excited. <laughs> they are such weird little buddies. Ah! Yes, yes. I believe it was last Friday when we were talking about next topics and you said, well, okay, what about crabs? And I was doing like preliminary research and I just immediately was very, very, very excited about the prospect of you explaining these <laughs> animals to me because they're weird. They're so strange. <laughs> I was reading things like, this can't be. <laughs> this certainly is not how a living creature works. Nope, it is. <laughs> nope, it certainly is, folks. Uh, yeah. 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 So it is a compliment to our recent Old Bay episode. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, I really appreciate the handful of listeners who reached out to to us and said they would send Old Bay because I complained that I couldn't get my hands on it in that episode. (laughs) Laura knows that I hilariously discovered, yeah, there was some in the back of my yeah, I, I, we, we mentioned this in, uh, right. in Wednesday's episode, but, uh, but right, I just get this text out of nowhere that's like just a photograph of Annie holding Old Bay and going like, "Well, I had some after all," <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> which is a wonderful surprise, but also kind of embarrassing because I have been looking for it for about a year. Uh, <laughs> 
So this episode, uh, you can see related episodes like Oysters and Lobster. Also, I could talk more about the 2009 horror movie, The Bay. I suppose you always could. I always could because, as I mentioned in the Old Bay episode, the horror starts in that movie with a crab, a blue crab eating contest. Oh, okay. Well. Yes. I found it highly unsettling. I didn't say this in the last one, but <laughs> I, that movie um, started as a documentary. But oh, the, really? What? Yes. Uh, what? The director, yes. But the director decided more people would watch it if he made it into a horror movie. This is fascinating. That is so wonderful. Huh. It's okay. wonderful and disturbing. Uh, yeah, but it's about, I don't know if anybody remembers, and I'm sorry that I keep harking on these horror movies that, like, hardly anyone's seen. But uh, it's about, if you remember the the isopod that would eat the fish's tongue and become its tongue. Anyway. Uh, I I do not remember that, but cool. Uh, It's a thing that exists and is horrifying. Yeah, no, that's a, I, marine life is terrifying. Completely weird. So divergent from so many things that we have on land. I Uh get into that in a minute here. Uh, Yes. It's a whole bunch. It is. It is. And uh, yeah, that that whole thing was a very disturbing incident in my life when I saw that picture of the isopod. Um, but that's, anyway, that's what that movie is about. Um, on a more positive <laughs> side, uh, <laughs> my grandparents, I think I've mentioned, they lived on the Gulf of Mexico. And uh, in the summer, we would often go stay with them for a couple of weeks or so. And uh, they loved crab. They we would go crabbing with them. Oh, um, cool! And they had like they loved crab West Indies, which I'm going to talk about uh, a little bit. Uh, crab Imperial. They added a ton of it in their gum. That's what they said made their gumbo special. Was oh, the, the blue crab. Okay. okay. Yes. Um, crab cakes, crab claws. Sometimes we just catch them fresh and steam them and serve them with butter. I have many fond memories of watching my dad struggle with crabs getting caught. In nets, <laughs> like in that mean child way of like watching your dad struggle with something. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Cool. And yeah, going through and throwing back the young crabs or the pregnant ones. And that's one of the last things me and my dad talked about before he died was um, he he was not from there. Uh, so he didn't have any experience crabbing like my mom did all the stuff. Mm-hmm. And she mm-hmm. introduced him to that. And she introduced them to this thing, which is one of the reasons I'm very excited to talk about crab, which is called Crab Jubilee. And how that whole experience was kind of a wonderful disaster for him. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but more on that later, more on that later. Now that I'm an adult, I have, I've had my own struggles. Uh, catching the crabs and crab traps. <laughs> and the family I, tradition continues. Yes, it does. Yes, the struggling with the crabs. And I, I will say, like, if you have not seen a crab swim, I have, and it is frightening. They can swim yeah. quickly, and they can yeah. come at you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, they're very pointy. They, they, <laughs> they come, they come with little pincers. Yes. They, uh, yeah, blue crabs are particularly quite fast. Oh yeah, and then when they burrow under the sand, and you're just walking along, and then pincher. Oh. 
crabs. <laughs> um, and oh. I, I remember being a kid and finding like the artifacts of their shells. Oh, of all sure. Sizes of the molds. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I have very little experience with blue crab. Um, uh, I, of, of course, I've probably eaten it any number of times in uh, crab cakes or something like that. But uh, but yeah, I've never really hung out places where that's the specialty. Um, so I've never been crabbing. I, I don't, I don't think I've met one, you know, <laughs> um, but, uh, the, the, the type of crab that I'm familiar with from my childhood is stone crab, which, uh, which a listener wrote in about, and that's a type of crab that, um, is farmed in Florida or caught in Florida at any rate. And, um, uh, my dad working in the restaurant industry once a year, it was this very special occasion, would get a like haul of stone crab claws and we would spend like a big family day with a bunch of cousins um, steaming and eating stone crab. And they are so succulent and delicious and oh, oh. That sounds very, oh, yes, delicious. It's it's pretty amazing. Um, But yeah, no, they are... (laughs) Very strange creatures, uh, like most yeah. aquatic things. I and I think about this sort of thing every day when I, because I, I, I have I have an aquarium, as I've mentioned before. I actually aquarium update, y'all. I just got vertebrates for the first <gasps> time. What I have, I I now have five uh red eye tetra. They're they're hanging out, doing fish stuff. I don't That's know. That's a menacing name, I gotta say. <laughs> Red Eye Tetra. <laughs> They're like an inch long. They're not very menacing. Oh, don't underestimate, I mean, Lauren. I mean, they 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 do look at you. They do look at you, but <laughs> Their red eyes. <laughs> With their their eyes themselves aren't red, but they have a little ring um around them, kind of like a little spot that uh that kind of glows red, the way that neon tetra. Uh, have like a little stripe. It's the same sort of thing. I appreciate this is a this is something I do all the time. I appreciate when someone's talking about something, and I have really no clue what they're talking about. <laughs> but I'm like, uh huh. Stripe on the tetra. I wasn't aware tetra was a fish. But all right. <laughs> uh, neon tetra are are quite popular within the aquarium hobby. Um, you've probably seen them before, even if you're unaware. They're they're just these very small, like a half inch to an inch, silvery bluish fish, especially under aquarium light, which usually has some UV in it, um, uh, with a little red to pink to like neon pink stripe down along the side of their bodies. So, okay. And the, these uh, red-eyed tetra, they're getting along with the snails? They are. They are. I actually, oh, I bought them specifically at this juncture because I had these invader snails that <gasps> that their their life cycle is very much quicker than my uh, Pamacea uh, brigesiae, uh, or brigesiae, sorry, uh, uh, snails. It's just like a common river snail, and they reproduce so fast. And so all of a sudden... I thought I had one snail, and then I had, like, 60 snails. And I realized that it was, like, going to approach critical mass. Um, so I was like, okay, let's introduce something that might actually eat these snail spawn. It's kind of messed up. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the need for it. <laughs> you're, you're creating an ecosystem when you have an you. aquarium. Lauren? You know, you do what you need to do. 
I think it's working. I think it's working. So that's great. Uh, they don't seem to be bothering my shrimp, though. So that's good, too. Got shrimp in there as well. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got some. Uh, hold on. It's the one that I don't think it is. An Amaro is a liquor. A yes. mono is a shrimp. There you go. There the you old go. The saver slogan. We need to <laughs> incorporate that. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's an embarrassing mistake to make, by the way, at uh, yes. a <laughs> aquarium. <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. You're like, I'm looking for some Amaro, and they're like, you're in the wrong place, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> wrong story. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear you're creating an ecosystem. You know, I'm hoping. I'm hoping that I am, and not mm-hmm. just a 20-gallon disaster. <laughs> 20 gallon disaster. That needs to be the name of something. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm going to have a plaque made. It's going to be great. Um. Please, please. (laughs) Uh, I do want to say I have recently kind of accidentally started rewatching SpongeBob. Oh, yeah. Which has been an absolute delight. But there are a lot of plot points of. Mr. Krabs, who is my favorite character, molting, uh-huh. oh. and, uh, snails, similar similar to what you're talking SpongeBob has some, I mean, I'm sure they take artistic license, but there is some, uh, they keep some real world things in there. Wow. Sure. Okay. Yeah. That sounds very upsetting. Cool. Some of it is. <laughs> I won't lie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose we should get to our question. I suppose we should. We were talking we were talking about blue crabs. Yes. Blue crabs. What are they? Well, uh okay, crustaceans in general are the delicious scuttling gigantic insects of the sea. A lot of a uh, lot of things happening in that very short sentence. I yeah. really appreciate. Uh, well, there's the, a lot going on with crustaceans. That's fair to say. Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're, they're not all gigantic, but um, like topside in the air where we mostly live, physics really puts quite a hamper on the size of, of anything with an exoskeleton. That is, a, a creatures with their skeletal uh, support structure on the outside of their bodies rather than on the inside like we have. Um, you know, exoskeletons can be heavy and can pretty quickly grow to the size will, where they will uh, impede movement. But underwater, it's not so much of a burden. That said, uh, blue crabs are one of the things that, yeah, like aren't that big. Um, let's describe them first, and then I'll get to their size. So um, so crabs, in, in general, are animals that develop a hard body and uh, usually 10 legs, five pairs of legs, with various functions. Um, blue crabs have bodies shaped uh, sort of sort of like an empanada or like a calzone mm-hmm. um, that comes to like really extreme points at, at, at the two pointy bits, okay? So uh-huh. they're like sort of like flat and kind of half moon shaped. But with a with drawn out points at those two sides yeah. of the half moon, okay? Spiky things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then they've got this series of eighteen uh, wee little spikes or, or ridges along the front side or face side of their bodies. That 
that make them look just like wee little danger pies. Yeah, they're somehow both cute and intimidating. I it's it's a difficult intersection to manage, but they they seem to be there. They seem I, to have done it. I find most crabs very menacing looking in in yeah. in the exact way that I do not find most spiders because most spiders are so tiny. They're like right. so small. Mm-hmm. And and some of them are fuzzy and I think that's great. Mm-hmm. But like you make it as big as your palm or bigger and I'm suddenly like no. <laughs> Please no. <laughs> Please to be over there now. <laughs> do not want. <laughs> Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, but delicious. So, you know, eh. uh, anyway, blue crabs, um, can grow up to about nine inches across that, uh, that, that half moon shape, about 23 centimeters and can weigh up to a third of a pound. That's about 150 grams. Females are a little bit smaller than males. Um, if left to their own devices, they live about three or four years. And um, those shells uh, on the top are sort of uh, bluish olive gray green and uh, then creamy white on the bottom with a pretty blue, like bright blue coloration on their legs and especially the the claws and um, a little bit on their underbelly. Males might have a little bit of orange coloration on their joints and claws. Mature females' claws are tipped in red. Their taxonomical name is uh, Calinectus sapetus which apparently translates to something like beautiful, savory swimmer. That's such a, I love that. It's one of those things, though. It's like very complimentary, but also like, oh, that means you're going to try to eat me. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, like, what a pretty thing for me to consume. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like, all right. That's on the nose. Thanks, buddies. (laughs) Yes. (sighs) <sighs> um, and yeah, they are strong swimmers because um, their rearmost set of legs are these uh, like larger uh, flat paddle-shaped things. Um, then they've got three pairs of smaller pointed walking legs and then these larger snippy front claws. On the undersides of their bodies, they have a little segmented belly plate called an apron. And uh, this is one of the ways that you can tell male versus female crabs. And I'm just going to quote um, Noah, the uh, national... Oceanographic and Aerospace Administration. I think I just pulled that out of my butt, so who knows? Um, uh, quote, in the Chesapeake Bay, people often refer to males' aprons as looking like the Washington Monument, while females' aprons look like the Capitol Dome. <laughs> so there's just this blue coloration on their bellies, uh, and it's kind of like like spire-shaped or pointed on males, and it's kind of dome-shaped with a little spike on the top on females. So it's pretty... But that just really cracked me up. That is pretty fantastic. That is... You know what? If I... Next time I go crabbing, I'll see if I notice this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's how you can tell. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, when you When you cook blue crabs whole in their shell, those shells will turn red. And uh, this happens because the the same pigment molecules in a crab's shell that um, bind to proteins there and, and, and thus become olive-colored while it's alive, when you cook the shell, um, the proteins in the shell will cross-link with each other and thus release these pigment molecules, which turn red when they're free of those proteins. Hmm. Weird and interesting. Yes. I think that's a great description for crabs. And 
<laughs> Overall, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, heck. Um, uh, their meat, meanwhile, is white to kind of brown tinted uh, with a with a rich, sweet, slightly nutty flavor and a little bit of a salty hint in there. Mm. Oh, delicious. Yeah. Um, blue crabs are native to temperate regions of the Atlantic, uh, north from Nova Scotia, all the way south to Argentina, um, up into the Gulf of Mexico. But they are particularly prolific in Chesapeake Bay. Uh, they've also been introduced on purpose and accidentally in uh, temperate oceans and seas in Europe and North Asia. And they're a pretty important part of the food chain everywhere they hang out. Um, they are omnivores and will eat pretty much anything they can find, catch, or pry open. Um, they're even considered a pest in some environments because, like, if they get into your farms, like, nice, well-laid-out, safe, cultured clam beds— they can eat like 575 clams in a day. Oh my gosh. And that is a weirdly specific statistic that I firmly believe some poor clam farmer out there was like, really? 575? Really? Yeah. It's like a spiteful counting yeah. of like, oh, I'm going to get an exact number. <laughs> I'm going to know the number. Oh, crabby <laughs> bastard. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's significant. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't eat 575 clams in a day. I mean, no. I might be able to, but I don't want to. No. It sounds terrible. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the jaws of crabs, though. He's like oh, no. the rogue crab. Yeah. That is getting revenge for his previous yeah. generation death. That's one of my favorite things about Jaws is that it's implied that there's some kind of generational. Intergenerational. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's it, what's <laughs> going on. That's what I think. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, you know, ocean beef. It's, uh, it's very serious. Very mm -hmm. serious indeed. Mm -hmm. More crab facts. Uh, blue crabs, like other crustaceans, have to molt that hard shell as they grow too large for it. And this naturally happens um, in the spring, sometimes a few times a year, uh, when the waters warm up and the crabs become more active after having bunkered down for the winter, kind of buried themselves in mud or sand, uh, depending on the temperature of the of the water where they are. Um, their shell will first loosen, and, and the new, still soft shell will develop underneath. At this stage, they are called peelers. And then eventually they fully wriggle out of their old shell and emerge soft. And these are called soft shell crabs and are considered a, a particular delicacy. They can be eaten whole, no, no cracking and picking necessary, which is how you normally have to get a crab meat. They do go through, yes, several molts over the course of their lives as they hatch as larvae and then metamorphosize twice um, and then grow to their full adult size. And during one of these stages, they 100% definitely look like face huggers. Uh, that is just what they look like. It's quite upsetting. I, it's fine. Everything's fine here. <laughs> I just have a lot of very formative memories from like Half-Life and Alien. Yes. So I am particularly keyed into this imagery. Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. Uh, <sighs> yeah, I just recently told the story of my very long struggle to watch Alien because I have a phobia <laughs> of aliens. But in our office, maybe even before I got the courage to watch Alien, there was a facehugger 
There is like a like a hooker. like a stuffed toy pup, puppet kind of kind of buddy. Yeah. Yeah, but it was on the ceiling, mm-hmm. and I didn't realize it was there until you know maybe <laughs> a year in, and then I look up one day and and it's just waiting for you. The tear, you know, in space they can't hear you scream. In the office they can. Uh, <laughs> So I'm oh, on the no. same page with you, Lauren. That's oh. very disturbing. Oh no! Oh, that's so funny. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm actually going to the office for the first time in like over a year tomorrow, and I, oh, I'm wow. going to check and see if it's still there. You know, I bet it is. I bet it. I don't remember. I uh, I don't I don't have like a mental eye on it right now. Um, I've only been a couple times. But anyway, uh, I've I've not actually eaten soft shelled crab. I see it on menus everywhere around Atlanta, and I've just never known what to expect from the texture. And it's usually kind of expensive, so I've just avoided it in favor of better known proteins. But apparently, they are uh, uh, tender and juicy and sweet with a sort of like burst of brine when you bite into them. Um, they can be served steamed or sauteed or deep fried or grilled, just yeah. whole. Yeah, yeah. I've had I've had them a couple times. They are, they are delicious. There's that kind of like brain disconnect, at least for me, where you think there's going to be this harder texture and then it's not there. So it's yeah. kind of huh. It's a Kind of exciting experience, almost. Um, oh, yeah. cool! Yeah, huh. very, very good. Yeah, I don't know what my holdup is because if a, if a shrimp is um, is is fried or sautéed in in the right way, I'll eat the whole shell. Right. I'm like not really that bothered by chitin, so mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> okay, okay. Homework, homework. The next yes. time I see it on the menu, gonna try it. Mm-hmm. Um. The soft shell stage is also when female crabs can mate, um, and their, their their mates will carry them around until their new shell hardens up, um, which occurs over like less over the course of like less than a day, apparently. So this is a very small time frame. Yeah. Oh. Weird. <laughs> so, so weird. Ah. <laughs> uh. Okay, um, a female crab will mate only once in her life, um, but will produce a million to eight million eggs. That's a lot of eggs. Oh, my God. I guess about half of which are expected to survive, but depending on the area that you're in, as few as, like, one in a million might survive to adulthood. I saw some, I saw, regarding blue crab reproduction... (laughs) You guys, I read a lot about it considering that we're a food show because I was just trying to get a grip on it and I kept seeing different statistics and different explanations. And so I'm not sure if it's just different in different areas or if like some sources were just wrong. I couldn't really get a very clear handle on it. We will clearly have to talk to some crab scientists Oh, yes. at some point in the future. Definitely. Um, that should be your subject line, Lauren. Regarding blue crab reproduction. <laughs> I love it. You know, I feel like any crab scientist would be glad to get that subject line. There's a definite hesitation when you said glad. I <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I think it's worth the effort. Yeah. I think either they'll be excited or you will be marked as spam. That's my my prediction. You know, sometimes we all sometimes we all get marked as spam. Uh, <laughs> um, when when she first lays these eggs, uh, they will be bright orange, um, and, and in this mass or sponge kind of beneath her her apron, 
Um, and then they'll start to become brown as they develop into larvae. Uh, she can also carry, if she if she sheds and then um, mates, she can carry that sperm around for like a year or more if she hasn't produced her eggs yet. This is fairly common from what I understand in a lot of um, oceanic species. It's certainly common for some of the shrimp that I've kept. I read in one source that juvenile females will produce eggs as well but won't mate. But that just sounds wrong to me. But mm -hmm. I don't know. Crabs are weird. I don't yes. know what they're up to. Mm -hmm. um, the eggs are eaten as roe, especially in the delicacy she crab soup. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I've had that before. I, I will say as a kid, one of the things that stands out to me in my memories of crabbing was that that orange spongy mass really mm -hmm. freaked me out. It, oh, that's fair. It, it looks weird. It freaked me out. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! <laughs> I know. I, I know. I'm using the word weird a lot, but like, I I'm not sure how. Like, without getting into like Lovecraftian language, I'm like mm -hmm. not entirely sure what better descriptor to use. Yeah. It's just heckin' strange. It is compared to the heckin' strangeness that is human bodies. Yeah, I mean, it's all pretty weird out there for sure. Oh my! Oh jeez! Do you ever think about the fact that there's a skeleton in you right now? <laughs> Well, I'm thinking about it now. <laughs> Sorry. I think about um, that sometimes. I'm like, oh, geez. When savor goes existential. <laughs> it was the blue crab episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who knew, but we should have guessed. We should have. Other crab terminology, uh, uh, busters are crabs that are just starting to molt, uh, that, 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 are, that are sloughing off their uh, peeler stage. Jimmies are adult males. Sooks are adult females. Sallies or she-crabs are immature females. And sponges are females carrying eggs. Wow. Wow. All right. You know, very important to know the differences. And so, of course, terminology has uh, developed around them. Absolutely. Um, sponge, Seinfeld reference. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Well, what about the nutrition, Lauren? Uh, well, uh, crab is pretty good for you. Uh, low in fats, high in protein and minerals and a few vitamins. Also has some salt. Of course, it really depends on how you cook and serve them because if you're, you know, deep frying a soft shell crab or if you're just like kind of coating the meat in butter before you eat it, like that's going to have an impact on the nutritional factor there. Yeah. But the meat itself will, uh, will help fill you up and keep you going. Yes, 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 yes. Very uh -huh. deliciously in my case. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we do have some numbers for you. We do. Uh, blue crab is the most harvested and most consumed type of crab in the United States. Yes, and it is the Chesapeake Bay's most valuable commercial resource. In 2000, Maryland and Virginia harvested 50.9 million pounds, and that was a low harvest year. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Maryland has a... True Blue certification for restaurants indicating that 75% of the crab meat served there is from Maryland. Um, that's what it's supposed to indicate. Thousands of fishers, fisher people work in the industry there. Yeah, um, Chesapeake Bay is our nation's largest estuary system, uh, meaning like rivers into ocean outlet. Uh, it's sustaining over 3,600 species of animals and plants. 
Uh, crabbing season in the Bay is uh, April 1st through December 15th. An estimated 10 to 45% of blue crab imported to the United States is the result of pirate fishing. Pirate fishing. Yes, yes. A lot of information out there on that if, if you should like to seek it out. According to data from the 90s, the U.S. is the top crab-consuming country in the world, with annual harvest ranging from 250 million to 350 million pounds of, quote, whole crabs, amounting to $80 million. Half of that harvest was blue crab, and half of that came from the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, the Gulf of Mexico is also an important producer. Louisiana itself Fishers there harvest uh, about a quarter of the U.S. blue crab catch. Um, the largest blue crab on record from Chesapeake, though, was uh, 1.1 pounds and 10.72 inches across. That's about 499 grams and 27 centimeters. It's on a plaque, isn't it? They got it, like... Bronzed or something? Gosh, yeah. I don't know. But if they did, that's amazing. I'm pretty sure it's like... <laughs> That's so gnarly. I love it. <laughs> I could be wrong. There's definitely a big one that is on, like, an oh, award so you would get. Cool. <laughs> yeah. so cool. I, well, you know, I haven't, I haven't thought about plating enough, uh, like, like metal plating, not dish plating mm -hmm. enough seafood. I guess. That's true, Lauren. I've often to... thought that about you. <laughs> he doesn't think about metal plating <laughs> seafood enough. Uh. <laughs> I'm glad we could uh, confront this. Finally, <laughs> finally talk about it. I, yes. yeah, thank you for, thank you for bringing me to this very complex intervention, Annie. <laughs> yes, it was a couple years in the making, but we finally arrived. Um, oh, heck. <laughs> something else I love on Labor Day weekend in Crisfield, Maryland, the town holds the annual National Hard Crab Derby and Fair. And it sounds excellent. It sounds like a delight. There are crab races, there's cooking contest, a picking contest, and of course, lots of food. But the crab race is what really draws my attention because I feel like crabs aren't going to race. They're going to... <laughs> Do whatever they want. Exactly. Yeah. And, like, perhaps pinch you when you try to. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like it's probably more or less the point of... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Of the of the race is that it's just yeah. going to be... It's going to be real silly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's kind of... In a recent Dungeons & Dragons session, I had all of you players, including Lauren. There was a lizard <laughs> race. I won't say you cheated, but you kind of gamed the system. Uh, well, you betting didn't, on your lizard. <laughs> you didn't tell us that we couldn't no. place bets on every lizard. I didn't. You're and right. therefore clearly win something. Uh, <laughs> You're correct. <laughs> uh, also, crabs do now always remind me of a uh, of our very first D and D session all yes. together, um, wherein. One of our group members uh, who was playing a shapeshifter, uh, she, we, we needed to solve this puzzle where we needed mm -hmm. to get to a place that was inaccessible to us. And she was like, what if I turn into a crab and Lauren's tiefling character throws the crab? And I was mm -hmm. like, okay, do I need to roll to throw the crab? <laughs> and, yep. And I did. And it succeeded. 
it did succeed. That was like my second session I've ever played. And that was one of the first instances where I was like, oh, this is what this can be. This is how it can go. Yep. (laughs) You can throw a crab like a Frisbee. Yep. (laughs) Okay, cool. Uh (laughs) (laughs) It was just, yeah, one of those moments of complete surreality surreality uh yeah uh where i was just like well yep nope this is this is what we're doing today this is what we are using (laughs) our fantasy universe in order to do and it was lovely Mm -hmm. did succeed that crab (laughs) helped us out (laughs) (laughs) she did she really did yes we do have a, a a lot of strange, crabby history to go over with you. Oh, gosh, we do. Uh, but first, we've got a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. Roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So, crabs in general have evolved over hundreds of millions of years. I couldn't find too much about the specific evolution of blue crab, but researchers seem to believe it evolved in Atlantic waters. And I did see one number that was saying like around 90 million years ago, but I really couldn't confirm it specifically. 
Okay. Uh, old. <laughs> oh, old. They've been around for a minute. They have. They have. Um, indigenous peoples along the Atlantic coast have had a long history of eating crab. And pretty much as soon as the colonists arrived to, to North America, they were locally catching and eating blue crab, sometimes using them as bait when fishing. Mm-hmm. Kind of like oysters. They were so plentiful that they were sometimes viewed as a nuisance, as a pest. Before ice and transportation improvements, crabs, blue crabs were really hard to preserve. So they weren't commercially cultivated in the early days. Uh, The crab scrape was developed in 1870, making catching crabs in large quantities easier. Um, And the crab scrape is a a type of of catch equipment that consists of a a long bar that you drag uh, along the sea floor behind your boat with a bag attached that will collect any crabs that happen to be hanging out there on the seafloor. Um, from what I've read, scraping is mostly used to catch uh, soft-shell crabs and peelers, um, which would both be kind of hiding in the mud due to their uh, vulnerability during the molting process. And I also read that this is particularly common in Chesapeake in the shallows around Smith Island, and that means very little to me, but so many places said it emphatically Yes. that I decided to report it to you. Yes. I'm sure our listeners from Maryland uh, will confirm. <laughs> yes. Cool. Uh, yes. Soft-shelled crab was regarded as a delicacy in the Chesapeake Bay area by 1880. And that same year, the first commercial blue crab fishery began operating in the region. The first licenses for Chesapeake Bay blue crab harvesting were given out in 1898. Some sources indicate soft-shelled crabs were first marketed in the U.S. in 1873 and hard blue crabs in 1878, which I find very interesting. You know, not having not having to crack open a crab shell and that's true. Pick out the meat is very appealing. No pun intended. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's true. Uh, these crabs were shipped to cities like New York and Philadelphia, which led to an increase in demand. From 1890 to 1900, the market grew from 4 million kilograms to 9 million kilograms, helped along by innovations around ice and transport. Scientist and world's leading crab expert and crab taxonomist Mary Jane Rathbun described this species of crab in 1896. And I researched her story because that title piqued my interest. Yeah, yes. Is very, very fascinating. Um, it, it was around this time uh, the first blue crab fisheries were established on the Atlantic coast. It would be 50 years later before they popped up on the Gulf of Mexico or before there are records of them on the Gulf of Mexico. So let us talk about Crab Jubilee, which is one of the main reasons I want to talk yes. about this. <laughs> yes. I mean, anything with the word Jubilee in it is basically going to be great. One oh, would yeah. hope. Yes, one would hope. <laughs> and I think this I think this lives up to it. No commentary about the 90s X-Men cartoon necessary. <laughs> yes. Keep your emails, please. <laughs> <laughs> or if you just want to talk about it, we're probably into that. Uh, yeah, but yeah, but, definitely. But no negative okay. opinions about Jubilee here. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Um, so Okay, these jubilees were often, and are often, announced with hopeful folks, like, shouting out their window, jubilee, 
In the past, people perhaps shouted this from their cars or called friends and uttered that one word, Jubilee. And (laughs) said friend would dash from the house in their pajamas, leaving the phone swinging on the cord. I know it sounds like I'm being dramatic. These are accounts that I read. Wow. Written accounts you can find online. So big crowds would show up to these things and do, and they are celebratory competitive events. If you're asking yourself, well, what is a Jubilee? Well, in this context, it's a high-density, high-quantity swarming of shrimp, flounder, and other fish, eels, and crabs, typically blue crabs, in usually shallow waters. And I'll get into my kind of skeptical tone in a minute because I got some mixed information here. Um, And people would just get buckets and nets and catch so much seafood, like 500 flounder for one person. Wow. This is a still relatively mysterious phenomenon, and it was first recorded in the Mobile area of Alabama in 1860 and first named in 1912. Mobile Bay is the only place where it regularly takes place and possibly also somewhere in Japan. I couldn't really find anything about it, but some people mentioned it in passing. But it does occur in waters near Mobile Bay as well. These jubilees typically take place in summer in the early morning before sunrise. The day before is usually cloudy and relatively calm with a rising tide. And if you're listening to this and you're thinking, this sounds like very much Southern, like if a rattlesnake crosses the road and it's 3 p.m. and there's a storm a brewing. That's what I thought, too. But scientists have looked into it. Um, They think that why this happens is due to a lack of oxygen in deeper waters that forces bottom-dwelling fish and crustaceans up to the surface in droves. This lack of oxygen is caused by a couple of factors like pockets of salinity stratification, meaning that a kind of layering takes place in the water with the salty, heavier gulf water on the bottom and lighter river water on top. These pockets, when they're stagnant, allow for a buildup of vegetation and plant matter uh, that provides food for microorganisms. When the water is stagnant and warm, when it's calm and there's like a low breeze, as I was saying, it leads to an explosion of microorganisms that consume even more Ah. oxygen. Yes. So with a rising tide and a gentle easterly wind, the oxygen-starved bottom-dwelling creatures behave oddly and are largely rendered unable to swim. When the sun rises, the jubilee usually ends since photosynthesis is activated with plants uh, reoxygenating the water. Depending on the creature that turn up, qualifiers like flounder jubilee or crab jubilee are added to the name. Huh. Wow. Wow. Yes. Um, From Southern Living, quote, flounder, some as big as hubcaps and in numbers beyond the counting, piled up like dinner plates in the shallows and on the sand itself, flopping, wriggling, so many that you could gig three at a time. Eels tangled into a twisted mass so thick that a man could not plant his feet to scoop them up in a five-gallon bucket. Catfish, thousands of them, seemed to be struggling not to stay in the water but escape it only to be gathered up by old women and laughing children with nets or even pots and pans. There were shrimp, rays, and other things that dwell in the bottom. But it was the crab's gardener, who was a person this uh, author was interviewing, would never forget, quote, in article, quote, all of them were just fighting to get out of that bad water. On the seawall, the crabs were crawling over each other. You could see them pile up like they were trying to climb that wall. I thought it was the judgment. What? Yes. 
Grab judgment. Oh, Gosh. no, I don't want to be a part of that. <laughs> Gosh. Yes. On top of that, the eels slither. They often slither onto the shore and bury their head into the sand and flail about. And this is sometimes described as a Medusa head. Wow. I'm telling you, Lauren. Um, people in the area say even though it happens semi-regularly, uh, it's like it's almost like winning the seafood lottery that you could yeah. live there and never see it. Huh. Um, and so, yes, I did call my mom because she's been to a few uh, and asked her what her experience was. And according to her, uh, she would go into the Gulf of Mexico, so not on shore. Um, and they would take her and her family would take these buckets and it would be mid midday or early, kind of early afternoon, I guess. And about six feet under would just be crabs. Swimming, wow. just crabs and crabs and crabs. And she said um, they would get like three industrial buckets full of crabs, just like just Just scoop them up. Them up. Just mm-hmm. boop. Yeah. Yeah. And th- that was, they would just stop there because they didn't need any more, but they could have kept getting yeah. them. Huh. Uh, sh- she also explained to me in detail how to clean a crab. And from this, she also told me a story about, so recently me and my, uh, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Co's on Sminty had a kind of a disastrous crabbing experience. Um, and we were cleaning the crab and we were like, do we eat this part? And there's kind of these like weird finger looking things inside of it. Okay. Like, white finger looking things. Um, okay. According to my mom, she knew a guy when she was a kid, like one a friend of her dad's. And he said, if you eat those things, you'll be dead by morning. What? <laughs> Which I think of as an exaggeration, but when she said that, I was like, oh my God, I'm so glad we didn't eat those things. Gosh. I think they're the gills. Okay. I think she's talking about the gills. I, I don't know. Anyway. I, I didn't learn that much about interior crab anatomy. I unfortunately cannot help you here. Oh no. <laughs> Lauren, I'm counting on you. <laughs> You're my only hope. <laughs> No, there is another. <laughs> it's Google. <laughs> uh, I suppose. I suppose. All right. Well, that's that is a jubilee. Um, the internet doesn't seem to know much about it. There's like two sources that had a lot of stuff, but huh. then otherwise, seems kind of a, a phenomenon not too many people know about. So if you've yeah. been to one. Should write yeah, in. please, please, please share. Um, I, I did want to put in um, that I also read an account of how to clean crab from an article in National Geographic by one Jasmine Wiggins, and it made me laugh out loud um, because she she was saying that uh, she had been in the seafood shop and. Um, and like clearly didn't know what she was doing. And so uh so the the man behind the cash register was like, here, I'll show you how to clean the crabs. And he says, first you cut the face. And, <laughs> and her and her response is, cut the face, cut the face. I certainly could not cut the face of anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Someone in yeah. her party eventually cut the face, but um <laughs> Snarly. Snarly. You know, you know, it's it's serious business getting into a, an exoskeleton. That's true. Um, mm-hmm. But at any rate, uh 
Back to our timeline. Back to the timeline, yes. Um, in 1906, Maryland officially eliminated commercial winter harvest of blue crab, although enforcement of those rules was sporadic from what I read. By 1924, those who were paying attention were sounding the alarm about the decline of Chesapeake Bay's blue crab population, predicting its decimation. A 1939 study predicted the same thing. In response, the governors of Virginia and Maryland came together to come up with a way to combat this decline, agreeing on things like increasing size limits, um, banning taking of sponge crabs with pregnant crabs, shortening the dredging season, and banning the harvesting of green crabs or young crabs. However, none of these policies were enacted. A 1968 study by the Academy of Natural Sciences found a decrease in the number of blue crabs available for harvest. So numbers going down. Crab cakes, (laughs) separate episode. But according to several sources, the first written Maryland crab cake recipe made with blue crab appeared in the 1939 New York's World Fair cookbook by Crosby Gage. A recipe for crab imperial also appeared in this cookbook. Um, The first recipes for that are thought to have appeared in the late 19th century. However, others point to an earlier recipe for crab cakes published in an 1891 cookbook by Thomas J. Murray called Cookery with a Chafing Dish. Here's a taste of that recipe. The meat from the hard-shell crabs after boiling may be made into little cakes held together with the yolk of an egg, seasoned with salt and pepper, and then cooked in the chafing dish with a small amount of butter or oil. A similar recipe recommended for breakfast was published in 1894 in Mrs. Charles Gibbon's Maryland and Virginia Cookbook. Historians think indigenous peoples in the Chesapeake Bay area may have eaten a form of crab cake as Hmm. well. Uh, The crab pot was invented in the 1930s. This was a real game changer because it required less work and was fairly inexpensive, allowing for more folks to enter the industry. And uh, this is not a pot in which you cook crabs, but another type of trap for crabs. Um, It's basically a wire cage with funnel-shaped openings or one-way gates leading into the trap. Like you put bait in a little lure box uh, fixed in the pot, and then curious crabs can crawl in, but they can't crawl back out. Um, And once you place it, you want to just let it sit for a few hours. Um, So you can drop a crab pot like uh, on your way out to sea and then pick it up when you come back in. So it's, yeah, it's pretty convenient, um, not so labor intensive. Um, Sometimes inconvenient if you like forget them or lose track of where they are. Mm -hmm. Um, Today, the purposeful removal of long forgotten crab pots generates tens of millions of dollars a year. (laughs) I believe it. Uh, So this is how I catch crabs Uh in my limited experience. And uh, me and a friend, we were trying to set it up and we're failing miserably. Oh. And somebody came up on the other dock and was telling us how to do it. And um, we just, the crabs kept getting away and they kept having success. Like every day we see them pulling out crabs and crabs and crabs. Um, and he told us that they love chicken. And we did put chicken in there. And that seems to be the case because we did end up catching five crabs. Oh, wow. Um, okay. All right. Cool. But yeah, we never really figured out this seemingly easy <laughs> piece <laughs> this of hypothetically equipment. so simple it was industry changing trap. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> to the point that a friend of mine was like, what if we just get that one? Because you can see like buoys of them floating. Oh, sure. Yeah. Like, we can't yeah. do that to somebody. <laughs> no, it would be pretty mean. <laughs> yes. Yes. West Indies salad, which is sort of this simple vinegary, lemony blue crab salad. 
is thought to have been popularized in 1947 by restaurateur Bill Bailey out of Mobile, Alabama. Um, my mom loves this. This is like the first Christmas I spent with my ex-boyfriend and not her. I made this for her because I was uh-huh. like, forgive me, I love you. <laughs> uh, yes, uh-huh. absolutely loves it. According to some sources, after a sharp decline in oysters in the Chesapeake Bay in the 1980s, Fisher people started turning more and more to blue crabs to replace it, pushing harvesting further and further into the fall. In 1981, Maryland replaced the voluntary census taking of blue crabs with a structured mandatory sampling system to keep track of the blue crab population. Because before, people were kind of self-reporting. Yeah, and they, and they could fudge like, the numbers a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. In 1989, the Maryland blue crab was named the state crustacean. In 1993, Maryland introduced the Governor's Crab Action Plan to address recreational crabbing and propose how to stabilize crab fishing. And a series of initiatives followed after that to boost the blue crab population in that area. Okay, and stepping back a bit, Phillips Seafood began as a crab processing plant in Maryland in 1916, and then they began serving food as kind of like a restaurant sort of thing in 1956. Then in 1990, Phillips found a way to operate year-round by relocating production to Southeast Asia. As of recently, estimates put Phillips at providing 70% of crab in the U.S. to restaurants and grocery stores specifically. Oh, wow. Huh. Yeah. And that was a part of a whole look at like kind of the changing industry and that whole model and what's going to happen. So... Uh, that was another thing, kind of like what you were saying earlier, where I'm like, I don't really know Philip Seafood. It doesn't uh-huh. ring a bell to me, but I feel like it's very important in this conversation because it kept coming up. So Yeah, yeah, probably just a whole different episode. Um, meanwhile, uh, climate change is hitting Chesapeake Bay hard. Uh, temperatures have increased some two degrees Fahrenheit since 1960, and research indicated that they could increase an additional to 10 degrees Fahrenheit over the next 80 years uh, between now and uh, uh, 20, 2100. Huh. Oh, wow. What a weird <laughs> year to say out loud. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, and, and, that, and that increase is also just wild. Um, in 2005, um, high temperatures caused this big die-off of eelgrass, which is a type of seagrass that's like basically the habitat for blue crabs during one of their stages of juvenile growth. And it and and that die off really wreaked havoc on crab populations that's that year it's it's something that they've been um monitoring since then right and and after some drastic drops in the Chesapeake Bay blue crab population officials put in place harvest limits on female crabs in 2008 this worked pretty well for several years and in 2012 experts estimated the population reached 765 million however the following year that number was 300 million and it stayed stagnant the next year A 2020 survey found that the levels of female crabs were above safe levels, but below recommendations. The total number of crabs was estimated to be around 450 million. A thing that could possibly help, um, uh, as of 2009, researchers out of the University of Alabama discovered um, this particular hormone receptor that serves to regulate blue crabs' molting cycle. Um, Throughout most of the year, they they produce this hormone that tells their shell to stay put. But as the weather warms up in the spring, they stop producing it. And that's when you get peelers and molts and soft shell crabs. And um, and, and this, this research is 
cool because industry folks could um, catch like regular hard shell crabs any old time of year and use a hormone inhibitor to induce molting, thus creating soft shell crabs on demand and putting less stress on crab population um, and low key the whole ecosystem um, during crabs' vulnerable spring and summer molting and mating cycles. So that would be cool. <laughs> that would be. Uh, so I had a moment again of like, it's a food show? Or are we? <laughs> <laughs> kind of bio marine life show. <laughs> that, uh, either way, either way. Yes, either way. Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe stirred some controversy in 2015 when he said on a radio show, "If anyone from Maryland is listening, I want to be very clear: all the crabs are born here in Virginia, and they end up because of the current being taken there to Maryland. So really, they should be Virginia crabs." Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh huh. Holy heck. <laughs> yeah. Of course, Maryland Governor Larry Hogan responded. <laughs> a bunch of Maryland opinion pieces were written, wow. and even PolitiFact weighed in. And wow. they backed up Virginia's claim. Yeah, a whole thing that I didn't put in the uh, the about section or the what is it section uh, because I I didn't want to get that deep into the into the ocean trenches um, it is part of the life cycle of crabs is that um, uh, the females tend to stay in the in, in, in different areas when they're um, mating versus laying eggs and the, yeah there's a whole like movement and life cycle of both male and female crabs into and out of the 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 estuaries and the freshwater bits and the deeper ocean it's a complicated thing but i but i but i believe i believe these humans when they say that they are born in virginia Ooh, well, uh, Maryland's Governor Hogan, uh, his communication director, Matthew Clark, responded, like most Virginians with any sense, oh. eventually the crabs move north to Maryland, where the waters are much more inviting and hospitable, and there is a certain amount of breeding that takes place in Maryland waters. It's not just Virginia, that's for lovers. Wow. <laughs> right? Wow. We're talking about crabs here, just a reminder. <laughs> that was honestly a way more salt than I was expecting, even in our crab episode. Oof, quite salty. Quite oh, salty. And I love it. Um, that same year, an Oceana report found that 38% of crab cakes sold in Maryland with the claim they were made with local blue crab were not, in fact, made with local blue crab. Wow. Or with blue crab at all, I believe. Yes, I think so. In 2021, for the first time in recorded history, a blue crab showed up on the shores of Ireland. As I was researching this, that was because I usually click the news tab too, sure. just to see if just to see what's up. Recent. Yeah, yeah. It just happened. Um, huh. Yeah. So this blue crab showed up on the shores of Ireland. It's believed someone imported it and released it into the wild. There are some concerns about what will happen to the ecosystem. It's a very oh. important ecosystem that you've been talking about. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's, it's a delicate balance, uh, as, as it always is with anything. Um, and, uh, yeah, introducing non-native species can, can, really, can really, yeah, do some damage. Um, one, of, one of the things um, going on with climate change um, relating to all of this is ocean carbonation and acidification. Um, because research has shown that these factors could cause blue crabs to 
from what I understand, to grow bigger shells than they traditionally have in order to protect themselves from this less friendly water environment, um, meaning that they will need more food to support themselves. Um, and furthermore, they're talking bigger shells, but not necessarily more meat and probably fewer spawn as well as they devote more resources to those um, to those bigger shells. Um, and simultaneously, some of their prey, like oysters, um, their shells will be weaker due to the, some of those same conditions, meaning the whole ecosystem could get pretty seriously thrown out of whack. <sighs> yeah. Write your legislators and try to stay on top of environmental measures in your area. I, sorry, I try not to yell at people about that thing, but, oh, geez, just, just if you, when you can help do it. Yes. Yes. Uh, for the crabs. For the, the think of the crabs. Think of the crabs. <laughs> but not the one that had the knife. Not the oh no, he's my favorite. That's no, my absolute favorite really crab enjoy. of all time. Yeah. That's I have never related so hard to a crab. <laughs> That's true. Pretty spectacular. Yep. Well, you know, I, I I knew it would be the case, but we had a lot to say about crabs. And I'm sure <laughs> we actually are gonna split up. There's gonna be we're gonna revisit other species of crab for sure. Oh yes, oh yes. I was like, I was like Annie. We cannot do just a general crab episode. It will be like the rice episode, and our heads will explode. Yes. We don't need that. We don't need that. So more crab, <laughs> crab thoughts and facts to come. Oh yeah. Yes, but that's it for now. But we do have some listener mail for you. We do. But first, we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. Roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this, I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with the snarl. Mr. Krabs. Mr. Oh, Mr. Krabs. Classic okay. crab. I don't think he's a blue crab, though. I guess. Well, no, when he comes out of the water, though, he is. In the water, don't know how accurate that is. Anyway, uh, my SpongeBob anatomy notes. Okay. I'll yeah. Keep to yeah. <laughs> I don't, I still have never watched the show and have no idea. I, all of these. Mm-hmm. All of these references just swim right over my head. Just like a blue crab can, Lauren. It's Apparently. Terrifying. Oh, it's well, scary. okay. Oh, gosh. <laughs> wow. Um, Tena Artina wrote, I hope I'm saying that correctly. I work in a research lab where there are about 20 of us in a visual and vocal range of each other. As a result, sometimes we have fun food experiments. Mm. Last summer, when we all were in the lab as our only way to leave the house during the pandemic— Someone brought black licorice, and the next day, someone brought root beer hard candies. Several of the scientists in the lab were from various Asian countries and had not previously experienced either of those flavors, so the whole floor embarked on an experiment together. We polled everyone on their opinion on licorice and then on their opinion on root beer. The result was surprising, to me at least. If a person liked licorice, they were more likely to also enjoy root beer, regardless of where they grew up. However, all the scientists from Asia were completely disgusted by both. <laughs> <laughs> the experiment was pretty delightful, and those of us who do like black licorice and root beer had a great time. That makes perfect sense to me because there, yeah, there, there is something similar in those flavor profiles. Mm-hmm. Also, we totally support and back these types of food experiments. Yes. Oh, my gosh, please. All the time. I need yes. to know about these things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Send the results to us. (laughs) Uh, Tom wrote, I had to write in after your pistachio episode. My ex-wife and I lived in Tehran, Iran, um, in the early 70s during the time of the Shah. We loved the local pistachios as they were really good and very cheap. This was a long time ago, but it seems to me that a kilo was less than two bucks. They were also much larger than the ones we get here in the States. We invited a couple over who were new in the country and offered them some pistachios while we were getting food ready. When I came to see how they were doing, I asked how they liked the pistachios, and they said they didn't care for them as they were too crunchy. Come to find out, they were eating shell and all. Oops. I told them to just eat the nut, but they had had enough. That is absolutely a mistake I would make where you're trying to like play it cool. Yeah. And then you're like, well, I really don't like this, but I guess I'll continue. (laughs) I'm like, maybe, yeah. (laughs) Too bad. Too bad. Because those pistachios sound amazing. Um, Oh, they do. I'm I'm so curious now. Yes. Yes. 
Food questions abound, which is good for our line of work, I suppose. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Thanks to both of those listeners for writing in. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We are also on social media. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at saverpod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo play. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.